The scripture today is from Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amen. Thank you for the reading of the word. You may have your seats in the presence of the Lord. So we're in the second week. We're going to be continuing our series, Unashamed. And so this week, we're going to be talking about what it means to be unashamed, to be the gospel. And so when you use that word be, uh, when you look it up in dictionary.com, it says to either live or exist. So to be the gospel essentially is to live the gospel. The gospel is very important. And so wanting to live the gospel is very important in a world that is looking for more than lip service. In a generation after generation that is rejecting the gospel, rejecting church, they're wanting to see the gospel lived out and not just simply preached. They want to see it in action, which is why you have a younger generation, which they say Gen Z is one of the most socially active generations there has been probably since like the mid-60s because they're wanting to see faith in action. And so when we get to this scripture about the Good Samaritan, it opens up, um, it says that a certain man stood up to test Jesus, an expert in the law. And so now we are talking about, uh, at the beginning of the scriptures, a certain lawyer, he stands up and he says that, hey, Jesus, I got, I'm going to test you a little bit because you're supposed to be a rabbi, you're supposed to be an expert in the law. And this is sort of the rabbinical culture. The rabbinical culture is about a battle of wits at times. You know, how smart are you, Rabbi? How much insight do you have? And so I'm a, I think I'm a pretty good expert also, so I'm going to ask you a question. You know, hey, um, what do I need to do to, to inherit eternal life? And then, of course, which is a rabbinical tactic, he, asks, he answers a question with a question. And so he says, well, how do you read it? 
you, you know the Torah. What do you say? Well, you know, uh, you know, love God and love your neighbors. Love God and love your neighbors. He said, all right, do that. And then the guy seeking to justify himself says, who is my neighbor? Seeking to justify himself. And so that's sort of the area a lot of us find ourselves in. I don't know if you've ever been there, but there's been plenty of times I've gotten into a discussion with someone and they kind of get the one up on me and I'm like, well, you know what? I'll get them. Just to show them I'm a little smarter than they think they got me. I'm going to, well, what about this? Ha-ha, answer this question. And so this is kind of how he approaches this. The lawyer is saying, well, who is my neighbor? And so when we read this passage, we read about a priest, we read about a Levite, and we read about a Samaritan. And we see that, but we don't have a true cultural context of what that means at the time. Because Samaritans were not particularly liked by Jews and vice versa. So in order to, for us to get a real cultural context of what this scripture would mean for us today, I did a little uh, modifying of the scripture to make it relevant to our cultural times and context. So with that, there is a trigger warning. Um, some words and labels will be used. So do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor. Look him in the face and say He's not talking about your political view. He's not talking about your stance on this particular social issue. He is talking about what the scripture teaches. Okay. Now, with that said, somebody is still likely to be triggered. Hence the warning, the trigger warning. All right, so now I'm going to modify the scriptures, and let's read it this way. A U.S. serviceman was going downtown here in Fargo, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his uniform and his underclothing, leaving him completely naked. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A Republican came by, saw that he was a foreigner, and assumed he was a legal immigrant from the southern border and passed by on the other side. A Democrat soon followed and saw that he was a foreigner, assumed he was an immigrant, but because it was not an election year, passed by on the other side. Next, a conservative evangelical Christian came along but recognized him from a CNN uh, interview supporting Black Lives Matter and walked on the other side while denouncing him as a critical race theorist and cultural Marxist who was pronouncing the 619 Project while trying to destroy the country. Then along came a liberal progressive Christian, recognized him from a pro-life stance he took on a Fox News interview and walked on the other side while denouncing him as an anti-woman, patriarchal, totalitarian fascist who is trying to control women's body while trying to destroy the country. Then, a Taliban terrorist, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity, had compassion on him. Now, we know collectively, for the most part, what this country feel about Taliban terrorists. That's what Jews felt about Samaritans. 
So when the Samaritan shows up as the hero in the story, the best equivalent we have today is to say the Taliban terrorist showed up as the hero in the story. But you have to wonder because the priest was the highest order of religious life and would know better that you can do something to help people when they're in need. But he chose to just obey the rules and say, well, you know what? I could become ceremonially unclean. Uh, robbers may still be in the area. Uh, and he's probably dead anyway, so I'm just going to go ahead and walk by. The Levite, who was from that same uh, line, the same family, the priests were a little bit higher. All priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. And the Levite said, ah, the same thing. You know, it's not really worth my time. And the Samaritan, who had no obligation to this person whatsoever, said, okay, I'll take the time to help this person. So the question I have is, why do people who know the Lord so easily throw away compassion when it's convenient? Why do we as Christians not readily live out the gospel? And with that, I want to talk about six ways, in other words, that we can be the gospel or live the gospel. And here's the first way, and here's the problem. We have to start seeing humanity and stop seeing labels. We have to start seeing people's humanity and stop seeing labels. It's easy to be triggered. As soon as you find out someone is for this position, you summarize the totality of who they are as a person. You find they belong to a particular political party, and you summarize the entirety of who they are just from that one label. From one thing about their life, you sum up the 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years of their existence and say, well, I know who you are. Rather than seeing them created in the image of God, made in the Imago Dei. So the first thing we have to do is we have to see the humanity and stop seeing the labels. And this is where we're going to pick up back up in verse 31. It says, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity, had compassion on him. The second thing we have to do, the second way we can be the gospel is we have to lead with compassion and empathy. We have to lead with compassion and empathy. Now, you would think as Christians, we wouldn't have to say this. We wouldn't have to talk about this. You know, that's a given that we are people of compassion and we're people of empathy. And we, like Jesus says, see the beam in your own eye. And because we pull that beam about our own eye, we can see the speck in our brother's and sister's eye. So we're willing to help them because we understand what it's like to be in that situation. You would think that would be a given, but that's not so because even in Christian circles today, certain Christian circles, this is being broadcast as we speak. The enticing sin of empathy. And certain Christian circles, they have said that empathy is a sin. Empathy is a sin. 
Now, I, I never thought in, in, in my lifetime that this would ever become a thing, but and it's a popular thing too. And it's starting to be espoused by more and more preachers that this is the angle we're going to take. We'll convolute the definition of empathy. Then we can find a justification to denounce it and call empathy, which is an emotion, a sin. That's like saying being happy is a sin. Being angry is a sin. But Jesus draws a demarcation between your emotion and your actions. Be angry, but sin not. And so we have people who are calling empathy a sin. But when we understand what compassion is, compassion, how many of you remember your prefixes and your suffixes and so breakdown of word? The prefix on the word passion, passion means suffering, com means with. Suffer with someone, suffer together, suffer with. In the Greek, it means to have pity, feeling a sense of distress through the ills of others. In other words, you're feeling the pain that someone else feels. The Bible says bear one another's burdens. Feel the pain that someone else is feeling. But even more so than that, if we go to the Old Testament definition of compassion, which I got from a Rabbi Noah about participating in a, a scripture circle, this came up. In the Old Testament, the word for compassion is rakam, and it means womb. When God had compassion, God was wombing people putting them in his womb, caring for them. And what happens inside the womb? The baby is protected, the baby is nurtured, and it is the closest time that the baby will be to the heartbeat of the mother. So when we are talking about having compassion on someone, we're talking about wombing them, not wounding them. We're talking about protection. We're talking about nurturing. We're talking about building up. And so there is compassion. Number three, the third way that we can start living out the gospel is we have to be or we have to live humbly. We have to be humble people. We have to be humble people. It says in Luke chapter 10, verse 34, he went to him. He went to him. And so how many times in, in our pride and our arrogance we say, you know, well, uh, I might forgive them or I might talk about it if they come to me. You have a fight with your spouse, you know, well, I, as long as he's willing to come to me, I'm not going to say anything. As long as she's willing to come to me, I'm not going to say anything. And the scripture talks about if you remember, if you're giving an offering, if you remember somebody else has something against you, you're supposed to leave the offering and go to them. If your brother or your sister sins against you, you should go to them. But we're people that don't like to go. But God is commanding us to go because we don't want to give up our pride. And I'll tell you what, I'm a, I'm a prideful guy. That's one of those sins I wrestle with, you know, well, you know, hey. And since I'm a good debater and I can 
put in a good argument. I'll argue someone down as to why I'm right. But my wife always beats me, so I I just learned to give up. Um, So, (laughs) but he gave up his pride. He said, you know what? I I know this is a Jew. I I know this this is, he probably doesn't like me, but you know what? I'm going to give up my pride. I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to go to them. The fourth way we can uh, be the gospel is we can be a healer like Jesus. We can be a healer like Jesus. Not only did the man just simply go to him, he bandaged his wounds and he poured oil and wine to care for him. And in this country where things are just dividing us on so many ways, we're divided over everything. Democrat, Republican, mass, no mass, vaccine, no vaccine, argument after argument, divide after divide, division after division. And God would just like, is there someone, I'm sure God says, is there someone just willing to be a healer? Just to love people no matter where they are. No matter what position they hold, no matter what their belief, just to say, you know what? I don't care about your background or anything else. If you're hurting, I want to help. And thus live out the gospel. Number five, we have to be sacrificial like Jesus because guess what? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. And so in verse 35, he says this, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. He took his own donkey. I'm sure the donkey he was probably riding, enjoying not having to walk because this uh, journey um, down this cliff was a very rocky road. And so I'm sure he was enjoying riding his donkey, but when he saw the man was in need, he gave up his donkey. He came down a level in order to raise someone up to take care of them. He's willing to give up his power. He's willing to give up his position, and he was willing to give up his privilege. He's willing to give up his power, he's willing to give up his position, and he was willing to give up his privilege in order to help someone else, in order to be the gospel, to live out the gospel, to make it real in the life of someone else. And he did that because Jesus did that, because in Philippians chapter 2, speaking from the message version, it says this, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and he took on the status of a slave. He became human. And having become human, he stayed human. And it was an incredibly humbling experience process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Christ was willing to give up his power. Christ was willing to give up his position. Christ was willing to give up his, uh, his privilege. In order to come down to help someone, us, humanity, who couldn't help ourselves. Which leads us to our last point. 
We have to live or be redemptive people. The sixth way we live out the gospel is we are redemptive people. Verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense you may have. Let me put this in context. Two denarii was equivalent of lodging him for two months. One denarii could feed 25 people. One denarii was equal to a a whole day's wages back then. And since the average innkeeper, archaeology archaeology has found that um, through their studies that the cost of staying in the inn was about one thirty-second of a denarii. And so he gave lodging for this man for up to two months. And then on top of that said, you know what else? If there's any additional expense when I come back through, I'll take care of that too. He didn't owe this man anything. He didn't know this person. He he didn't know him from Adam. He didn't know his beliefs. He didn't know his political position. He didn't know uh, what he believed about anything. All he knew was that someone was hurting. Someone was in need. And like Jesus, he said, you know what? I'll step down. I'll give myself up and I'll pay a cost that's not mine to pay. I'll pay a cost that is not mine to pay. So, Here's the grand lesson. Jesus gives that story and he ends it with this. He says, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? And the lawyer, the expert in the law, I'm sure he sat there and he pondered and he probably just like he kicked his feet and he didn't want to say it. And he couldn't even bring himself to say it. He said, the one who showed mercy. He couldn't even bear to say the Samaritan. The one who showed mercy, that person. But more so than that, here's what Jesus wants us to take away from this. Not only for the lawyer, but for us as Christians who want to live out the gospel. Who do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? His enemy. His enemy. And so when you really grasp what it means when Jesus says, love your enemies and bless those who curse you, he's not saying that as some rosary happenstance. He means that that's going to cost you something emotionally, mentally, spiritually. You have to sacrifice. We have to sacrifice something in order to love people the way Jesus loves people because we as humanity were the enemies of God. We shook our fist at God and said, we don't want you. We don't need you. And while yet we were sinners, God sent his son to die for us. That is the gospel. In order to live that out, It's easy to love those who like you and who's in your circles and who you hang out with. But what do you say about that person who you can't stand? The person that caused you absolute offense. The person that wronged you in the absolute worst way. How do you love that person? And are you willing to be the gospel? In closing, and as I ask the worship team to come back up, I want to share this. 
How many know this person? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Beautiful day for a neighbor. Maybe I should have the worship team sing that. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? The Atlantic, which is considered a progressive liberal newspaper, said this about a conservative Christian preacher. And writing in an article called St. Fred. Fred Rogers was an ordained minister, but he was no televangelist and he never tried to impose his beliefs on anyone. Behind the cardigans, though, was a man of deep faith. Using puppets rather than a pulpit, he preached a message of inherent worth and unconditional lovability to young viewers. Encouraging them to express their emotions with honesty, the effects were darn near supernatural. He was Protestant, but if Protestants had saints, Mr. Rogers might already have been canonized. There is a way to be the gospel. It may not necessarily show up exactly like Mr. Rogers. You may have to find your own version of it. But there is a way to be the gospel. And with that, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we ask that you help, Lord, not only to preach the gospel or believe the gospel, Lord, but to be living witnesses, to be the icons of the gospel, Lord, as we touch the hands and the feet of those who are hurting in our community, in our spheres of influence. Lord, we know that we are the bomb in Gilead for someone who may not know you, who may be far from you. So, Lord, help us, as St. Francis of Assisi said, Lord, to preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. As we pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. Father, thank you for loving us enough to give your son We are so thankful to Jesus for being the willing sacrifice to pay the cost for our sins, God. And just as he was willing to give up so much to redeem a people so far from him, Lord, help us to give up something to help bring someone closer to you. Teach us to be the gospel, Lord, not with just words but with our lives. In Christ's holy name we pray, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom. Go and be blessed and be the gospel in the name of the Lord.